The following is a message from Reverend Ken Belden of Wellsprings Congregation. I imagine a number of us, perhaps all of us, have heard of something like this. VH1's behind the music. If you have an unoccupied Saturday afternoon, it's a great way to learn a lot about every 80s band who you'd already forgotten about. Or maybe you've seen something like A&E, their biography uh, show. If you're familiar with shows like this, you probably have heard a phrase such as the one I'm about to speak. From their humble beginnings as. From his humble beginnings as the son of a sharecropper living on eight cents a day. From her humble beginnings as the daughter of a coal miner who had to walk eight miles in the snow both ways to get to a one-room schoolhouse that had no heating. It's not that such stories are untrue. In fact, they're very true. And they can be very inspiring. It's just that we've heard stories like this so often. From the end of the story, from the perspective of one who has already achieved success. And so, except for that general sense that success is an option, and by the way, so is failure, These stories don't teach us much about being in, with, as, that humble beginning moment. How to be in that place before the success that we already know about in these stories has occurred. How to be with and as that humble beginning moment. I want to talk about one powerful way today about how we can embody, be, and live in that humble moment, that humble beginning, before the rest of the story is assured. It comes about through this image that perhaps you've seen when you've driven west on the turnpike. I think it's about mile marker 275 or something like that. I'm probably making that up, but somewhere out there between here and Harrisburg, let's say that. Entering Chesapeake Bay Watershed. That's the title of this new message series, The Watershed, as in the watershed moment. Watershed moment we all know could be a small thing that yields in time very consequential meanings, feelings, changes in our lives. Pivotal moments. So it really helps to create the watershed moment. So the series that Lee, our assistant minister, and I will be offering over the next couple months, I'm something we're going to be digging deeper into. But I want to take you way back, way, way back to start today, to a message one month ago that Lee offered. It was a more innocent time in America. Lee gave a message one month ago when I was on vacation, and I think Lee's a really excellent preacher, so I like to listen to what she said when I get back from vacation. And in this message, Lee related a story about a kind of marathon, a back-and-forth texting session that she and I had with each other about something that happened like over a decade ago. What we were talking about is the fact that actually I had uh, an idea— as the original, you know, church planner, as the first employee, really in some ways the first person here, one of the first people here at Wellsprings. I had a different idea for what the name of this place would be. 
I wanted to name chrysalis. Transformative space, butterfly growing space. Uh, but I was outvoted by not even the original planting team. This was before that. These were some of our big money folks who helped Wellsprings come to be. And it was cinched that the name was not going to be chrysalis when they thought about it for a week. And they took it home and they shared it with their family. And one person came back with a report from their five-year-old. And she said, what's a chrysalis? And he said, it's a bug. It's a place where a bug grows. And she said, ew, bug. <laughs> And Chrysalis was not going to be the name. So in this story that Lee was sharing, she said, some of you who know me over this last decade or so, eight and a half years since we launched, some of you who know me might not find it to be terribly surprising that I hadn't quite let this one go. (laughs) Yeah. Her joke. Big laugh. I heard y'all back then. I know your laughter. I know who was laughing at me. I got it. So that story is an awesome story. I love it. I love that she told it. And I didn't know that Lee was going to share that story with you. And so after I listened, I paused for a few moments, recognized what was coming up within me. And I asked her. If that had been an interaction between you and a member of the congregation, would you have asked them first before you shared it from the pulpit? And she immediately answered, yes, absolutely. And I said, then I would have liked if you would have asked me first. She immediately, genuinely apologized. We're all good. I'm not sharing this story because... This is still a place of static. It's not at all. And by the way, yes, Lee gave me permission to share this story today. (laughs) Her joke, though, about me, well, to quote one of my favorite sources of scriptures of all kinds, the Simpsons, it's funny because it's true. I can be, I'm going to put it nicely at first, I can be dogged. It is an occupational hazard of those of us who are what we call in the biz church planners who start something from where there really wasn't something before. At times, this is a very good thing. There are parts of the service, for example, that we all just participated in. Amazing parts of who we are here at Wellsprings that would not be the same with the depth and the quality if I had not at crucial points in our development Really, at times, folks, I have to tell you, dug my heels in and held fast to a vision. Sometimes, however, it's not such a good thing that I am so dogged. I can be controlling. Now, this can be funny, such as perhaps if you've ever seen me before a service, lining up the chairs with a precision that should be required for the landing of military jet engines. Folks, I have to tell you, I am not like this at home. <laughs> Ask my wife. <laughs> but the, the first, the first uh, church planting workshop I ever went to, a really experienced church planter said, you know what? If you want to start this something from nothing, you have to have a degree in chairology. <laughs> and so it matters how the chairs are laid out. So that can be funny. 
And other times, my controlling habits are not funny at all. I can be very, very stubborn. I can listen poorly at times. Especially when caught in my own story, hewing to my own narrative, my own version of events, I can. And as much as it pains me to hear this feedback, it is true. I can appear arrogant. And I have been guilty. This is what pains me the most of taking the efforts of other people for granted when I am so caught up in my own work. Now, all these things, these are never my intent. But intent in human interactions, as important as it is, is only part of the story. There's intent. And then there's the effect. And I think it's important for all of us, especially for those of us in leadership, to know our intentions, but also listen to the effects they have on other people. You know, I love Thoreau, great teacher in our movement. He said, you know, don't cast aside those people who dance to the beat or follow the beat of their own drummer. So, yeah, Henry David. I'm one of those people. But there's a really important postscript to that little epigram. The drums belong in a band. And right now here at Wellsprings, we're not just a band anymore. We're a much different sized orchestra than we have been certainly when we began and even for what we were just a few years ago. So today, my friends, I want to apologize to you. I apologize. I ask your forgiveness. Sometimes I have asked my need for forgiveness of you individually. I'll have to do that again, I'm sure. But today I ask forgiveness of all of you as a community. And by the way, if there is something I have done that has hurt you, regardless of my intent, and I'm not aware of it, I would ask that you share this with me. And at least we can talk about it. I am asking forgiveness of you because of this season, especially at Wellsprings, to be clear of my intentions as we move into this fall together. As some of you know, indeed I would think many of you know, but not all of you do, last spring... I shared with this congregation my desire that within a year from then that I would shift my ministry here at Wellsprings, effectively in time letting go of my managerial, executive, administrative component of my ministry, which I do not enjoy very much, and if you've had to deal with me in this realm, you know I'm not very good at. This is a season of change at Wellsprings. This is a watershed moment. And I really want to stress something because I know at times over the summer there has been some misunderstanding about this. Friends, the request is to shift, not to leave. If I had wanted 
to leave, I had the opportunity to do so. I do not want to leave. I want to change the nature of our relationship. Over the summer, this amazing team came about in conversation with the board, a response team that really decided that they would take a look at Wellsprings overall, globally, who we are, what we do, what it takes to do what we do to help prepare us for the future. Carl, would you raise your hand there in the back? I know you're not the only person on the team, but you're the person who put that team together. They're still doing their amazing work. They will be reporting back to you, we'll just say, soon, this fall. Because, you know, it's not my report to give. And they're taking their time. They are doing due diligence, not just of activity, but due diligence of the heart. What is most inspiring for me as the founding minister, as the lead minister, when I hear about the response team's work, is that they have tremendous faith in our future. It's the kind of faith we heard about if you were here last week and you heard one of our members, Kevin Donahue, issue an invitation for the members of this community to join him in something that he's done before, which is a service trip to work with a community in the country of Haiti. And in issuing this invitation, he quoted from what he calls absolutely appropriately one of our patron saints here at Wellsprings, the social worker, Brene Brown, who talked about in this quote that in facing the things that really bedevil us, the things that cause us pain and challenge in this life, that she encouraged, choose the challenge over the comfort. Not that we can't be comforted with each other, but choose the challenge over the comfort because that's the way that we will grow. That's the way that we will face what's here. And that's the way that we will be bold. This is a tremendously bold congregation. You don't go from about 20 people in the beginning to over 250 people now, just eight and a half years after we launched, without a tremendous amount of boldness. And I learned a few things about boldness, especially as someone who has learned to deal with the centrality of fear in my own heart. That where there is boldness, it is healing, it is restorative, it is thrilling, and also, and I think we all know this already, that where there's any boldness, things will not go according to plan, things will break, things will break down, there will be unpleasant surprises, and when that happens, not if, it hurts. A congregation that takes risks is a congregation that experiences some disappointment. This is why forgiveness is essential in our midst. This is not a matter of just saying, well, you know, it's better for me to ask forgiveness than to request permission. We've heard that, and sometimes that's true, and sometimes that is an excuse for cruelty. And it's not a matter of sometimes what we see online, hashtag, sorry, not sorry. It's not that kind of blithe thing that says you deal with it. No. This is a matter of looking at our culture here. Of what we built together. Over this last decade. And loving what is so unique and precious and wonderful about it and the boldness within it. And then also asking ourselves as I am asking myself at this season, what makes this boldness sustainable? 
Not just burn us out. We can be bold and burn all kinds of folks out. But what makes it sustainable? It is the humility of forgiveness that gives us the strength and resilience to keep on keeping on when things don't go as we would have planned. It is forgiveness that makes a new way possible. But more important, if we want a new way in this life, forgiveness is essential. If we don't want to just keep repeating the same old things and keep on hurting each other in the same old ways. This is one of the great ironies about forgiveness, and it's a blessed irony that forgiveness is about the past. But in fact, forgiveness is about faith in the future. That things can be different. That we can grow. That as we say with one of our core beliefs here at Wellspring, the burning bush is blazing everywhere. There's an even simpler way to understand that. The universe is not done with any of us yet. Forgiveness and asking for forgiveness. That's one of the things the last decade has taught me. I can ask for forgiveness and know my intentions. I have no power and should have no power over whether the other person forgives me. That's on the other person. I do not want to control that. This forgiveness as a deep and abiding faith in the future of our ability to grow and change and become. Yes, it's about who we are here. And it's about, about God, I just sounded Canadian for a second. <laughs> I'm not even a hockey fan. I have no idea where that came from. It is about who we are here and who we yearn to be, which, of course, is much bigger than just the life of this congregation. This season is a watershed moment on the calendar for many people. It reminds me of my own spiritual upbringing and heritage. This is the inside cover page of the prayer book that I grew up as a secular, very, very secular, but, you know, high Holy Days Jew. Like we went to the shortest Yom Kippur service we could on the Day of Atonement. We fasted for like an hour, you know. (laughs) But this stuck with me. Gates of repentance and the connection between repentance and awe. I mean, awe is all about learning to see the world with new and fresh eyes again. And it does pass through the gates of repentance. And it can lead to watershed moments. In space between Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish New Year, and Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, it is written in the tradition that God opens the book of life. And we get to have, or invited to, whether we're Jewish or not, by the way, an accounting of what this past year has been. So that we might enter the new year with an open heart. Forgiveness helps us enter this reality with that open heart. Such as this story. Some of you might know a book that came out a number of years ago called Offerings at the Wall. It is about the Vietnam Memorial. I think many of us have probably been there and witnessed that breathtaking Overwhelming, very painful list of 50,000 names lost in that war. And of course, those are just the American names. 
So many Vietnamese names as well, too. So much death and loss. In this book, Offerings of the Wall, it tells a story of a photograph that someone placed at the base of the wall. This photograph of a Vietnamese soldier and a young girl. And in a plastic pouch to keep it covered with that photograph are these words. Dear sir, for 22 years I have carried your picture in my wallet. I was only 18 years old that day we faced one another on that trail in Chu Lai, Vietnam. Why you did not take my life, I'll never know. Forgive me for taking your life. I was reacting just the way I was trained. So many times over the years I've stared at your picture and your daughter. I suspect each time my heart and guts would burn with the pain of guilt. I have two daughters now of my own. I perceive you as a brave soldier defending his homeland. Above all else, I can now respect the importance that life held for you. I suppose this is why I am able to be here today. It is time for me to continue the life process and release the pain and guilt. Please forgive me, sir. Now, you may not have taken a life. But I would ask for a moment, you just contact that place within you, within your own heart, who knows what it's like to feel not inauthentic, toxic shame, but real, honest guilt, remorse of knowing that we've done something that has hurt another person. Perhaps sometimes in ways that are irreparable. In this letter, that's what this unnamed soldier is doing. Asking forgiveness as an opening to wishing to heal. But amazingly, this is not the end of this story. This is a guy named Richard Luttrell who held that photograph for a long time and wrote those words. Eventually, by way of another veteran of that war, That photograph found its way back to him. And he took that photograph. And he decided for himself that he wanted to find that young girl and return the picture to her. He traveled to Vietnam. He found her and her brother. And through an interpreter in their presence, he said, This is the photo I took from your father's wallet the day that I shot and killed him. And now I'm returning it to you. And then his voice beginning to quaver and break. He said, I ask you to forgive me. Saying nothing, the young woman broke down and threw herself into Richard Luttrell's arms. And together they sobbed there in wordless communion. 
a little time later, her brother, a grown man, said that that moment was so important to him and his sister because they believed that their father's spirit lived on in Richard's life. And that day, their father's spirit was given back to them. Again, we may never have killed someone. But I dare say we have injured people. All of us. Forgiveness is a means of returning to life that which is life. This humility and forgiveness reminds me of these words from the Tao Te Ching, the sacred scripture of Taoism. The supreme good is like water, which nourishes all things without trying to. It is content with the low places that very often people disdain. Thus, it is like the Tao, the great way. Humbly asking forgiveness is that paradoxically great lowness, that large humility, the source of all beginnings and beginnings again and returnings to life. I don't care what we call it. Beyond ego, God, love with a capital L. All I know is that it's there, waiting for us, especially at the watershed moments. And that this humility, this forgiveness, it changes us. It changes me. It welcomes us home and let us know, lets us know that we can return again. Amen. May you live in blessing, my friends. Let's pray. God, your presence is not written truly in laws, not for many of us at least. But it's written in that divine spark. It's written in that invitation. It's written in that inquiry that all of us can make into the state of our own hearts to take a fearless inventory to know ourselves with a boldness that can express itself humbly offering words of sacred depth I am sorry please forgive me Those words are gateways to a life of awe and belovedness. Amen. If you enjoyed this message and would like to support the mission of Wellsprings, go to our website, wellspringsuu.org. That's wellsprings, the letters uu.org.